0: Ephesians 4, 1-3 I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace.
1: You are listening to the Blue Collar Marine Podcast with your host Nate Penley (laughs) and myself Scott McGrady. Hey Nate, good to be back with you. It is good to be back in the saddle again. Oh yeah. We are going to pick it up where we left off last time, like usual. We usually split these into two parts. We usually record enough to do so. (laughs) So uh, we're going to continue this conversation on disagreements, on how we disagree with one another, how we disagree with believers, how we disagree with what we're going to see mostly focus on this time is disagreeing with just in general, believers and unbelievers alike. Mm-hmm. You know, examining our own hearts as we come into conflict uh, with others and how we do that and pursue peace, pursue love, be an example of Christ likeness. And uh, so we're going to just pick it up and keep it going. So, in the case of the weaker brother, if he saw someone
0: who was eating this meat and he thought it was a sin, and so he approaches his brother and says, brother, that's, that's sinful. You shouldn't be eating that meat. That's idolatry. The stronger brother, who knows it's not actually a sin for the sake of his brother, would then, at the very least, at the time,
1: refrain from eating this meat and then do what? Never eat meat again? No. No, I think what we see, this specific scenario you're pointing out, we find in 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10. Yeah. And so, yeah, if if my brother is caused to stumble because of my actions, if I'm going to hurt my brother, then Paul says, I'll never eat meat again, but I don't think that's what Paul's getting. Paul's not saying, though, just because my brother's conscience is harmed, I don't eat meat. I think it's the idea we don't flaunt it in their face. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't disrespect them because even right here in verse 3, he says, don't judge each other based on this. But that doesn't mean I don't eat meat. There are freedoms, and we do want to protect our freedoms, but we don't want to cause someone to do something that they themselves believe is sin. Mm -hmm. But I do think, though, we also have the obligation to sharpen each other. We do have the obligation of trying to Um, it doesn't mean we just never talk about it ever again
0: right and
1: we bottle it up
0: or we hide it
1: no i i think we want to seek to inform our consciences with scripture and sharpen each other so yes have the conversation but do have the conversation in a loving non-judgmental way so a non-condescending way in which we just want to help each other And, and the thing is though As one who wants to be considered with what I say and say, okay, here's the scriptures, this is why I I hold to what I hold to, I should also then be willing to consider what my brother says and take the scriptures that they present and chew on it and think it through.
0: And if we hold to the authority of scriptures, the goal of this conversation would hopefully be to come to an agreement Mm -hmm. as iron sharpens iron If when we talk about it, when we discuss it, Hopefully, a revelation will be made that somebody's wrong, somebody's right, or maybe both of you are wrong. And there's another there's another right (laughs) option out there. But the goal is to to find the truth of the right answer, whatever it is. Right. What happens when we both, we go to scriptures, we talk about it, we talk about it some more, we, we
1: argue back and forth, and we still disagree? I think we make the priority the bonds of peace. I mean, the very first verse here in Romans 14 is, do not quarrel over opinions. Don't mm-hmm. fight about it. The The peace uh, that you have as brothers in Christ, or brothers and sisters in Christ, or sisters and sisters in Christ, that unity that there is in the gospel, in those essential truths, is more important mm-hmm. than this tertiary thing. So, some ways that I think this can be applicational to us today,
0: that I think that we as Christians, family members, generally speaking, American citizens really fail at the way we speak and interact with each other is found on the internet. While it certainly is a helpful tool to get information out there, I can't imagine going back to a time of life pre-internet, but there's a lot of things I wish we could do in regards to being pre-internet, and one of them is just the general civil discourse we have with each other it is often ugly it's easy to point the finger at the internet being the problem but I'm, I'm not sure the internet is the problem whereas really it's just that the internet has shown a light at
1: issues we have of the human heart and the way we, we interact with each other yeah I think whatever comes out of us when we're on the internet whatever foulness or anger or you know we can't say it's the internet's fault no, you know, I, it's, it's all those Fox News alerts that I that pop up that are making me s- this way and, and raising my temper and all that. I, I don't think we can do that. I, I like the example that I hear in counseling. Some of the courses I took where the, the counselor talks says, you know, when I'm counseling someone about anger or something, I have this water bottle mm-hmm. and, you know, I shake the water bottle. But at some point, too, I, I take the cap off and then I shake the water bottle. And then I ask them, well, why did water come out? And often they'll say, well, because you shook it, or they'll say, because you took the cap off. And I'll say, well, why why did water come out of the water bottle? And, and then that specific guy I have in mind says, you know, about 50% of the time they get it. <laughs> and oh, well, because there's water in the bottle, right. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, you know, the world may shake you, and you can't do anything about the world shaking. You can't do anything about if the world takes the cap off, but with what comes out of you is not because the world shook you. What came out of you is because of what was in you. So if anger came out, it's because anger was in you. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like you said, it's a heart issue, you know, and Jesus even says that, you know, again, it's not in Mark chapter seven, it's not, what we put into it. It's not what we eat that defiles a person because Jesus said what we eat passes through the body and comes out again. But it's what comes out of a person, what comes from his heart. And he lists all those sins, you know, uh, immorality and, and divisiveness and deceitfulness. And, and you know, I can't think of the list right now off the top of my head, but all of these things that come out of us is because it's what's already in our heart.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I think this is a great time to encourage Starting with, you know, with myself and in the way I interact with the internet thinking before you speak and This is this is why I'm frustrated with the pandemic because I'm a face-to-face kind of person I think that much of what we need to do as far as spiritual growth Happens with believers needs to happen on a face-to-face basis There's a reason we're told to not forsake the assembling of each other together It's because we need face-to-face interaction. We need to encourage each other face to face. And when I'm talking to a brother and I can see his face, I can see the emotion that's involved in a situation. It's a lot easier for me to empathize with them and remember to hold the love of this person above all else in my speech. It's a good reminder. And when we're sitting there behind that computer screen, we can't see them. Often all we're thinking about is our own emotion and we're just typing our emotion right into text and we're not thinking of the other person. I think it's a, a trap that many people fall into. And so it's this would be my encouragement to remember why why are you doing what you're doing? What is the motive behind it? Is it love or is it pride? Is it selfishness or is it holding your brother or sister's needs above your own? The motive is important there. And it's an easy place behind a computer screen to fall into a habit where we just react without thinking through the consequences. Is it loving? Is it wholesome? Is it beneficial? Is it is this going to sharpen my brother or is it am I spewing filth? It's an ugly place where that does happen. And so I for a long time I got off of Facebook and got off the internet because Facebook is just a disgusting place. I've seen you recently. Disgustingly, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> This is my labor of love for North Valley that I'm back on Facebook. It's really just so I can stream for the church. So (laughs) for all those hearing, I'm doing this for you. (laughs) Oh man. But yeah, I I think we we really need to think through our speech, how we talk dealing with conflict. I'm not going to say the internet is never a place where you can have a conflict and talk through it, but I think you really need to be careful when you think about what you're typing because tone of voice isn't necessarily present. Like I said, that face to face element is gone. We really need to be careful and think through how we communicate when we're communicating
1: online. And I think there can be a sense for many people of a a false sense of safety where I, I think I can spew out whatever is in my head without a filter and get away with it because there's, there's a, at least a seemingly lack of accountability there. And so I can just type out something, lickety-split, whatever, without really thinking it through and thinking how gracious or loving I'm being. And a lot of really what is in the heart can come spewing out without catching it. Mm. And I think that false sense of security that someone can have behind a keyboard can be a really dangerous thing. So love your neighbor as yourself. Easy. <laughs> Not so much. Checked off the box. <laughs> Done. So that's conflict with believers, right? So, right. Right. But believers aren't the only ones we interact with. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we have different categories
0: for that. Someone doesn't believe in the gospel. They they don't believe what we might believe as far as right and wrong. They don't have, we don't have the same moral standards. How do we interact with those conflicts? And this is one I'm I'm finding more and more is for a Christian in a very post Christian work sphere, it will get harder and harder. I don't think we're at the point yet where we can claim serious oppression. There's certainly people all over the world that really are being literally murdered and persecuted for their faith in Christ. I don't think we're there yet, but right. it it certainly would be foolish to deny we're not on a track to get there. Mm-hmm. What I can say about marriage and sexuality is getting harder and harder for me to say without repercussions, without getting pushback. There is a standard that people have that is different, and so that can make things tricky. And I think this is something we should fight for. Same principle kind of applies. I still need to speak the truth. I still need to be bold. I can't just sweep it under a rug because it's not going to go away. But that doesn't mean I have the right to treat people as if they're not image bearers of Christ. They still are people. Right. And I still need to love them. I am still commanded to love them, and that includes my speech, the way I talk to them. It doesn't mean I back down. If I don't back down and I speak the truth, and they accuse me of not loving them because I don't agree with them, I, I can't really change that. That's going to be the accusation, but I need to make sure that I'm not giving any truth to what they're saying by the way I'm saying it. By the way I'm treating them, by the way uh, we interact with people, if we give more fuel to that fire, that's
1: not going to end well. Yeah, we want to make sure that if they're offended, that they're offended by the truth. Right. We've talked about this aspect a lot when it comes to evangelism, and mm-hmm. you know, we're preaching the gospel and. An exclusive gospel, an exclusive message that Christ is the only way. You you cannot be saved apart from faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I mean, that's an offensive message to mm-hmm. our world. But we need to make sure that if they're offended, they're offended by the truth, not offended by us. Right. So once again, love your neighbor. Right. Easy. When there's conflict, though, that's it's hard to love, though, mm-hmm. sometimes. I mean, tempers flare and... Right. Uh, So I think there's some things that we need to keep in mind. One is, uh, I think we need to keep humility in mind. You know, if we're in the midst of a conflict, whether with a believer or an unbeliever, you know, we have to keep in mind, you know, what what am I arguing for? Am I arguing for the sake of truth? Am I arguing to uh, defend the reputation of God, of his church? Am I angry against injustice in the world? Or am I angry because... There's something I want, and I'm not getting it. I want to be seen as right. Which I think goes back to what you were saying
0: before. Like, even when we approach the brother, why would we hold something against our brother when we've been forgiven the same way? Hmm. And even though this person may not be forgiven, I still have no reason to think I'm any better than him because my gift of freedom was that. It was a gift. I didn't earn it. Hmm. I'm no better than him. I didn't do something to earn this. That he hasn't done there's nothing that should give me any reason to think that i'm better than this person because i'm not i would hope and pray coming with him with this truth that he would be able to receive it as i did that should bring as you said humility in the way we approach things i'm still not backing down on truth but i'm still gonna approach it humbly because i only have salvation because it was a gift that is humiliating on its face that i can't do it Christ had to do it for me. In a lot of ways, when you think about it, we were in a state of
1: helplessness. And this person is no different. And they need that. They need to hear the truth. Right. And whatever we do, to not have humility is a sin. Right. I mean, God demands humility of us. And if we do not humble ourselves, if we truly are his followers, mm-hmm. if we belong to him, if we don't humble ourselves... He's gonna humble us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's gonna hurt a little. Yeah, it's um, but hurt a lot. yeah, and so I mean, we have the scripture, a plethora of scripture. Psalm eighteen twenty-seven: For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Mm-hmm. Psalm one hundred forty-seven six: The Lord lifts up the humble and casts the wicked to the ground. And Matthew twenty-three twelve: Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James 4, 6-10, to 10, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Clean your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Humility is so important to be pursuing and to go after, and it's something I think we all still need to grow in, but we have to understand this is what God is calling us to, is, is to be humble. And if I'm fighting for something that I want, I'm fighting to be right. I mean, how often? I mean, and and I I have to confess this myself. There's been plenty of times where I've been in arguments, and I wasn't really fighting for the truth. I convinced Mm -hmm. myself I was. But I wasn't fighting for what was true. I was fighting for me. I was fighting (laughs) to be right, Mm -hmm. that I had to be right. And so it was something I wanted. And so the more, too, if I wasn't being shown as right or being seen as right— if my temper flared at all, it was because there was something I wanted, and that's exactly what James tells us, right? In James chapter four, verses one to two, he says, "Why are you angry? Well, you're angry because you didn't get what you wanted." Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we need to to recognize that. What what are we fighting for? And, and like you said, we got to bring it back to the gospel. Uh, I've been forgiven. I recognize who I am before God. It's nothing that I did that mm-hmm. God gave me that. And I think we got to think too. How did God treat me in my sin or in my place of of wrong Mm -hmm. and so if god treated me with such kindness god who is the creator of the universe the one who sets the standards who is the very in his very being the standard uh, in my sin in my wrong how he treated me with such kindness and grace how could i not turn around and treat this person across from me like you said created in his image Mm -hmm. how can i not treat them with kindness and grace mm-hmm. when I've been treated as, in such a way. So how does this play out in in a public sphere? Like we've talked
0: about scenarios here, but most of them are one-on-one personal issues we work through. I mean, we talked about I still can do things publicly. I can exercise my freedoms publicly. But if if an, a situation arises, I'm dealing with this brother or sister <clears throat> or even an unbeliever, they're kind of in a situations where they're more private, usually one-to-one, one-on-one. We live in a unique time where there's lots of public opinions floating around. People say things publicly. We have lots of big evangelical names who like to promote their latest theological fad publicly. Is it okay to confront this person publicly? I see these arguments a lot about we'll say, just big names, people on the internet go back and forth with different ideas and they argue, and there's a claim that, oh, look at these people, these Christians, are just fighting, this is why I left Christianity. I would venture to say, that's not why you left Christianity. You left Christianity because you loved your sin more than God, and this is just a, an excuse for you to point at for mm-hmm. why you left. But there is often this claim, and I think we as Christians fall into it, where we think, oh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be doing this in front of other people the big intro to C.S. Lewis's book, In Mere Christianity, he blatantly says we should never have these discussions or arguments in front of other believers because it it's going to keep them from coming into the fold. And I, I'm not sure I really agree with that. I mean, we're, we're fighting for truth. If they can see us fighting for truth in love, if, as long as we're following the biblical commands to do this in love, why wouldn't that resonate
1: with people, for people that care about truth? Obviously, I think anytime we're demonstrating love for each other, that that would resonate, that would, that does something. So what do you say in John 13, verse 35? The world will know that we're his disciples by how mm-hmm. we love one another. Right. So even in these arguments with each other, or these disagreements, uh, I think, I mean, to some degree, the world's always going to be watching. Right. Even no matter how private we try to be, there's a degree where the world's always watching. Right. Um, There's there's unbelievers that are going to know something. And, And so however, how we portray those differences and how we work through them together. I think if we can do it in love in selflessness in humility that it's going to speak volumes to Mm -hmm. the world. It's going to show, no, there is something real in them because the world doesn't argue this way. The world doesn't love each other when they have these differences. The world goes in riots and, and tears things down. That's what the world does when they disagree. But as we see Christians disagreeing, as we're working together, still respecting each other, still loving each other through it. I think that speaks volumes, right? This doesn't
0: always have to happen behind a closed door, right? We can do this in public. And when, False accusations are being made about the scriptures, about interpretations, about first-tier matters, and even second- and third-tier matters, having that discussion. But especially first-tier matters, when there are people out there leading people away from a true gospel, it would be loving to confront that, Absolutely, even in a public square. Right. It would be, I, I would argue, it would not be loving. It would be more like hating your brother to not speak that truth, to confront that truth. And I I think that, as we've discussed, the the second and third tier, we need to remember when we're debating second tier issues, it's not necessarily gospel issues. So the level of importance, the way we combat that is, is going to be a little different. But it doesn't
1: mean we can't have those conversations and we can have them publicly. I think we want to be careful in the sense we don't want to air out someone's dirty laundry publicly. Sure. And uh, and so we want to be sensitive when coming to areas of someone's sin. We don't want to put them in a position where people are going to gossip. I think that's that's part of the whole point in you know the Matthew 18 steps of church discipline, that you first go to the sinning brother yourself, and mm-hmm. between the two of you, you confront him. I think part of that is is protecting that brother against gossip. Mm-hmm. And then if he still won't, you know, repent, then take one or two others. And then, you know, you keep widening the sphere as the person refuses to repent, as the church then pursues mm-hmm. uh, him to repent. But yeah, I think just because we have conflict doesn't mean we do it behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Or just because we have disagreement, we do it behind closed doors. Right. I think that in everything, whether our interaction with a believer or an unbeliever, our goal as believers is to be more like Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, our goal is to to show, uh, to reflect the person of Christ, that we ourselves are growing. I think that's, you know, Paul's command to the Philippians when he says, uh, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Philippians chapter 2, starting verse 3. Do nothing out of self selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility Count others more significant than yourself. Mm-hmm. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. He's pointing, be like Christ. Have the same attitude that was in Christ. And then he goes through what Christ did in, in humbling himself. Though he was equal with God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, or something he had to grip onto. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. And he gets into how he humbled himself, even death on a cross, and... Uh, goes into that work of Christ. And then because of that, God exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And so that attitude that was in Christ in which he humbled himself should be in us as well.
0: So don't take our word for it. Search the scriptures. Be a Berean, a blue-collar Berean.